the Christmas story is uh, surrounded by a whole bunch of other stories, isn't it? Like, will Buddy ever find his dad? Will Kevin be able to outsmart the wet bandits? Will the Grinch ever stop being so grumpy? And we love these Christmas stories, but I would argue that all of these Christmas stories are actually a shadow of the real story, the Christmas story, a story that actually happened, true story that happened to actual people 2000 years ago, the other side of the world. So we have one goal today. We wanna help this story come alive for you. Because some of you are here or watching online and you've never really heard this story before. Man, if that's you, you are in the perfect place. You've been on my heart all week. I'm so glad that you are here. Sit back and enjoy the Christmas story. But then there's a lot of you in this room who have heard this story like a thousand times. And if that's you, I wanna say you are in the right place too. In fact, you have been on my heart all week as well. Because here's what I realized this week. Familiarity is oftentimes one of the greatest enemies to transformation. So you hear the Christmas story and you go, I know this one. I don't need to hear it. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite theologians, philosophers once said that familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. Then unfamiliarity leads to contempt. So you go, Christmas story, I got it. And then a few years later, you still think you got it, but you actually don't. And then a few years after that, you kind of just start to wonder, do we even really need the Christmas story? I have this conversation at least once a year. Conversation that starts this way. Hey, I don't really understand why we're making such a big deal about Jesus's birth. Shouldn't we be focused on Jesus's death? And I understand the sentiment, but I respectfully disagree because Jesus came to die for us. Yes, absolutely, amen. But he also came to be with us. The Christmas story reminds us that Jesus really is Emmanuel, God with us. So wherever you find yourself today, we're gonna dive into this beautiful story. Jesus would later grow up to uh, talk to a bunch of religious experts. And then he would point to some kids and be like, hey, you guys need to start uh, approaching this like children do. So that's my challenge for you today. Hear the Christmas story like a child. This is the Christmas story. We're gonna title today's message, Baby Moon in Bethlehem. Baby Moon in Bethlehem, we'll get there. All right, so imagine a father and son are walking in 4 BC in Jerusalem, 2000 plus years ago. And as they're walking, they're talking, but the son has something that's been bothering him. And he finally works up the courage to ask his dad the question he's been wanting to ask. He stops, he says, dad, have you ever heard God speak? Father shakes his head and says, no son. 
Never have. Okay. They walk a little further and he says, well, what about grandpa? Has grandpa ever heard God speak? No, son. Well, what about grandpa's grandpa? Or grandpa's grandpa's grandpa? And the father realizes that he's going to have to tell his son the thing that he's been worried to tell him his whole life. Hey son, um, we actually haven't heard from God in quite some time. Because when you read the last verse in Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, and then you turn the page over to Matthew, you just turn one blank page. But that one blank page represents 400 years. Malachi was written around 400 BC. And so that one blank page is actually 400 years of silence. The Christmas story begins with 400 years of silence. And silence is uncomfortable. Isn't it? The next service, I'm gonna see how long I can go. <laughs> We're on the clock. Silence is uncomfortable. Hey, has that feeling, uh, that exercise that we just did, has that represented anybody's year this year? Like, like some of you have had a year of God answering prayers left and right. And man, if that is you, we celebrate right along with you. But others of you would go, yeah, that's kind of how my entire year has felt. Like I keep crying out to God, asking God to answer my prayers. And so far, nothing. Like maybe it's a career path. You have a dream that you've been working on all year and getting up every morning and doing your best to, to, to move forward. And you've just been praying and praying and praying, God, would you open some doors? And yet at the end of another year, those doors haven't been opened yet. And you just feel like you've been sitting in silence. Maybe for you, it's a relationship that you just deeply desire to be with somebody and you've been taking all the steps and trying to be proactive and, and praying every day and yet spending another Christmas alone. Maybe for some parents in the room, the Christmas story hits way too close to, to home because it's a, a child of your own that you've been praying for. Or maybe you have somebody in your family who you love, but who is a long way away and wants nothing to do with you and the, the rest of your crew anymore. And Man, you don't even remember the last time you've said a prayer for yourself because every prayer is about God bringing them back and reconciliation and yet so far, nothing. I wanted to start our Christmas story with 400 years of silence to remind everybody that the Christmas story understands silence. Like, the Christmas story sits in solidarity with the one who feels distant from God. The Christmas story understands how you feel. 
silence. Like, let's be real. Oftentimes, my timeline is a whole lot slower than God's timeline. You know, everybody else feel that way? And so waiting is oftentimes just a part of the process. I've taken a lot of comfort this week knowing that uh, I'm in good company. The waiting is, is part of it. Silence sometimes comes with it. And so in just a second, we're gonna sing our, our first of three songs. By the way, Jane and I are gonna tell you this Christmas story in three parts today. So to be scripture, sermonette song three times. And uh, we wanted to start here with Silent Night um, as a reminder that Christmas is actually the story of God breaking 400 years of silence. And so if you are here and you've had one of those silent years, I wanna just invite you to, to sit in this moment and take comfort knowing that God is not nearly as far away as you think. He's actually closer than the very oxygen that you breathe. Think about 400 years real quick. That means that firsthand experience eventually became secondhand experience. That means that experiencing God actually started to be more like stories. And then stories probably became legends and legends became myths. And somewhere along the way, people probably started wondering if this whole God thing is even real. Is God really there? <laughs> and if he is, does he even care? Or is he just some distant deity who is apathetic to everything going on down here? And then just as the night was at its darkest, just as people were their furthest away from God, an angel named Gabriel showed up in the living room of a young woman named Mary with a message, Mary, it's time. Remember how Isaiah wrote 700 years ago that the virgin would give birth to the Messiah and he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Well, God is on the move. See, the Christmas story every December gives hope to the soul who feels stuck in a holding pattern. As a reminder that God is ready to speak. And if I may push for a second, maybe a reminder that it's less about how God stops speaking and more about how we stop listening. And so just for a few minutes, before we go any further, let's sing Silent Night together. And as we do, you remain seated. You don't even have to sing. You sit, reflect on this amazing night because hey, let's be real. It wasn't a silent night. We know that. It was scary and hectic and dangerous. And as Jesus breathed his first few breaths, I promise you he wasn't silent. And yet as that little baby screamed, God was breaking his 400 years of silence. So maybe the silent night that this song talks about is a, a silence and a stillness that transcends our circumstances. Maybe it's a silence that's about the, the, the Prince of Peace who came to, to say, hey, no matter what you are going through today, no matter what you are experiencing, you can actually have peace in the middle of the storm. 
Maybe the silent night is a call to that baby who would wake up or who would grow up to, to one day be caught in the middle of a storm on a boat and spends the entire day taking a nap only to wake up and calm the waves with a word. See, this silent night is about Jesus. So let's take a few moments now and reflect as we sit in silence. Lord, we love you so much. Jesus, thank you for breaking the silence. Thank you that you are ready to break silence in this room right now. Jesus, speak to us as we stop and remember that you are Emmanuel, God with us.
In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This is the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Have you ever been super invested into a TV show because man, you're just waiting for that payoff. And so you watch every single episode, season after season, year after year, just waiting for the moment. And then the moment happens and it feels like they just speed right through it. And you're yelling at your TV like, no, slow down. That's how I feel when I read Luke 2, one through seven. 400 years and the entire Old Testament leading up to this moment. And then Luke gives us seven verses about like really the entire Christmas story. And so I wanna take a moment and slow down. Let's unpack this. First, Mary is nine months pregnant at this point. I try not to talk about things I don't understand, but what my friends tell me is that's a very uncomfortable time. So she's resigned to the couch and Joseph, meanwhile, is working as a carpenter. Now we need to get out of our head how we think about that in the 21st century. As a carpenter in the first century, it doesn't mean that like he had a salary and he had vacation time. And I wonder how much paternity leave Joseph gets, you know? It just means he was the guy in town who built furniture whenever somebody needed furniture. And he hoped that enough people needed furniture so that he could get by. Now, all of a sudden he has another mouth to feed. And so I imagine Joseph is going into that whatever it takes kind of mentality where we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure we can provide. And while that is happening, a Roman soldier walks up to his shop, never a good sign, and says, hey, uh, Caesar Augustus wants to do a survey. So you gotta go back to your hometown, walks away. This is how I picture it in my head. Now that's bad news for Joseph because hometown for him is Bethlehem. His wife's nine months pregnant. So he goes back to the home. She says, hey babe, how, how was work today? Oh, it was fine. But hey, I, I was thinking, we need to get away for a little while. What if we took a baby moon together? Baby moon? Yeah, like let's take a bit, let's, 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 the baby's coming soon. And so let's get away, just us and have some time together to get ready for this next season of our life. And Mary doesn't really want to, to do it, but she's like, okay, I mean, I guess we're gonna get like an Airbnb by the Sea of Galilee, you know? 
And he goes, well, we could go right down the street to the Sea of Galilee. That could be fun. Or I've heard Bethlehem is really nice this time of year. Why don't we take a baby moon in Bethlehem? Now, when I explain the context, that last statement is gonna hit a little harder. So Bethlehem was about 90 miles south. Now you're thinking, oh, so you just jump on the highway and you're there in like an hour and a half, right? No, no cars, no highway, walking. Maybe they had a donkey, maybe. Walking 90 miles when you're nine months pregnant. By the way, that's 180,000 steps. When every step is painful, it's not a lot of fun. And you have to get it out of your mind that there was like a gas station every couple of miles where you could get like snacks and Gatorade, right? Like Joseph was carrying their water, their food for, for the trip. It probably took about seven days. And the path was notoriously dangerous. There were thieves that would hang out and, and steal stuff from people. And let's not forget that this is Bethlehem. You know where David grew up as a shepherd boy, where he talks about how uh, I used to have to fight off lions and bears when they attacked the sheep. So not only do you have to walk 90 miles when you're nine months pregnant, not only do you have to look out for thieves along the way, you also have to watch out for bears and lions. Merry Christmas, Mary. It's gonna be the longest week of your life. And I'm telling you, man, if you can get the context of the Christmas story a little bit today, it's gonna help you this week. Like if, can we take some of the filters off of the Christmas story? I feel like we've done the same thing with the Christmas story that we've done with social media, where it's just filter, 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 make it look like we got everything going. And then before you know it, it starts to look like everybody else has it all together and you're the only one who, who feels lonely or feels confused or feels anxious, right? This whole situation that we've gotten ourselves in in the 21st century. I feel like we've done the same thing with Christmas where it's like we put all these happiness filters on it and go, it's the most wonderful time of the year. You should be super happy. And it is an amazing time of year. It's also a very hard year for a lot of people. When you take the filter off, you start to realize that Christmas has a lot less to do with happiness and a whole lot more to do with holiness. That what we're gathered here to remember is not that everything's going to go well necessarily this week. Half of you have in-laws coming into town, you know what I mean? You know what I mean. You're sitting with them right now, so you can't respond. <laughs> Kidding. It's amazing. It's such a great week, and yet it's so hard sometimes, right? A couple years ago, I had uh, two pastoral meetings back to back in an afternoon. So I went to Merit Coffee down in the Triangle. I got my Americano and I sat down and the first guy showed up. And I, he was from out of town and, and, and I said, hey, so you're going home for Christmas, right? How, how are you feeling about that? And every word that he used was so warm and inviting 
and he was so excited to be with his family and all of the traditions that they have and the chestnuts roasting over an open fire, right? I said, man, so, I'm so happy for you. Go enjoy it. Next guy shows up and it's the exact opposite. He's cold, he's nervous, anxious. His words were, dad's in the picture, but I wish he wasn't. Mom's not in the picture, but I wish she were. Nobody's a believer, I'm new to my faith. I'm nervous about going home during this season. I had this moment sitting at Merritt going, man, like, that's it, isn't it? Like, whether you resonate more with person one or person two this Christmas, the beauty of the Christmas story is it meets you exactly where you're at. It'll meet you on the mountaintop and celebrate with you, absolutely, because the Savior is here. And so let's sing and let's celebrate. But it'll also visit you in the valley remind you of a young married couple making their way down to Bethlehem, the struggle. By the way, they get there and then Mary says, hey, it's time. They've never done this before. Joseph's like, okay, there's a hotel over there. I'll go ask them. They don't have any rooms. The innkeeper is like, well, you could go out back with all the animals. It's a manger out there bring you some water, you know? That's the story of God stepping out of heaven and coming to be with us. Was it scary? Yeah. Was it crazy? Yeah. Was it holy? Yeah. Because Christmas is less about happiness and more about holiness. So we're gonna sing a song, Oh Holy Night, right now as a reminder that it's time to fix our focus. But whatever is going on in your life this week, it's time to fix our focus on Jesus. That night was holy, but, but it wasn't because of the manger. It wasn't because of the inn. It wasn't because of the stars or the presence or the trees, the wise men or the shepherds. All that stuff is great. It doesn't make it holy. It was holy because it was Jesus coming to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Man, all throughout scripture, anytime people are, are around God or in the presence of God, they just go, holy, holy, holy. It's a word that just means set apart. God, you're there and I'm here. And I just wanna do my best to make that clear. And then the Christmas story is that holiness came here. Be with us. So during this time, the space is yours. You can remain seated and sing. You can stand, you can lift your hands. You can, as we sing in the song, fall on your knees and kneel before the savior of the world. King of kings, leaving his throne, coming as a baby in a manger. Royalty robed in the flesh he created. The infinite infant, holy. Jesus, we love you. Would you help us fix our focus now? We get our eyes on you in Jesus' name. Amen.
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Amen. I love the shepherds in this story. Um, four times in the Christmas story, angels appear to humans. All four times, the humans respond by being terrified like the shepherds just were. And then all four times, the angel's response is, do not be afraid. I think the Christmas story is trying to tell us something about the entire Bible. See, because if we back up to the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve aren't afraid of God. They're living in perfect harmony with their creator. They're going for walks in the coolness of the day together. But as the story goes in Genesis 3, they eat from the tree and then they hear God walking in the coolness of the day. They get scared and they run and they hide. God says, hey, where are you? And they're down sewn fig leaves together trying to cover themselves up in shame. Now, I think one of the most important questions you can ever ask as a follower of Jesus is when you read that verse, God saying, hey, where are you? Picture it, imagine you're in the garden and God says, hey, where are you? As I said that, what was the tone of God's voice? It's one of the most important questions you can ask yourself. I ask myself that question like once a week. It tells you a lot about um, who you think God is. Like, was God angry when he said, where are you? Was he ready to discipline? Where are you? You better run. Was God scared? Guys, where are you? What did you do? What happened? Everything's falling apart. Was God apathetic? Where are you? Ah, you know what? I don't even care. 
Whatever your answer is to that question, just know that for thousands of years, humans ever since that moment have been struggling with this question. Ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit, we've had some fear in our soul, like an unhealthy fear of God. And I just feel when I read the Christmas story over and over and over again, and I hear the angels go, hey, don't be, let's start here, don't be afraid. I, I just believe that when God asked Adam and Eve, hey, where are you? His tone was actually, guys, where are you? We usually go for walks this time of day. I love hanging with you. Hey, if you did something that put up a wall between me and you, just know that I will go to whatever great lengths I have to go to to tear down that wall. Even if that means I have to send my own son to die on the cross for your sins, I wanna be with you. Maybe all the fear is in our own minds. Maybe the whole time it's been a story of God going, hey, I want to be with my people. And so let's read the verse together. An angel appears to the shepherds and says, do not be afraid because I bring you good news. Everyone say good news or gospel, if you will, that will cause great joy. Everyone say great joy for all the people say, all the people. Greek word for all means um, all. I don't know if you guys knew that. Where religion tends to say, this is for this group of people over here. The message of Jesus is this is for all people. This is for everyone. That's why we exist to make heaven more crowded. We exist to tell as many people as we can the good news that Jesus came to be with us. The angel says the result will be great joy. I love that because great joy is a lot different than happiness. You gotta get that in Christmas week. Happiness says, hey, if I get that present under the tree, I will be happy. Joy says, whatever comes my way, I'm going to choose to rejoice. Happiness says, if I get that date before Christmas, I'll be happy. Joy says, I'm content where I am. Angel doesn't say, you, you're gonna have great happiness. He says something way deeper and more profound. Jesus is here, which means you can live in great joy. See, darkness tries to convince us to be afraid. You ever notice that? You ever notice how the fears that we have at night seldom look so scary in the morning light? You wake up and you go, why, why are we so worried about that? Now that the light is here, now that we can see clearly, God's got this, we're fine. Darkness tries to use fear. It's really, it's only the enemy's only tactic. It's to try to sound scarier than he actually is. We gotta remember that this time of year, man, because Wednesday is the shortest day of the year. And shortest is the wrong phrase. It's 24 hours, just like any other day. But in the Northern hemisphere, it has the least amount of light. Sun will rise here about 7.24 and 
it'll have set by the time you get out of the office. And let's just be real, like that's a, something hard about that, right? Like I, I feel that this time of year. But on Thursday, light will start building again. And on Friday, a little more. And on Saturday, even more. Almost as if all of creation is screaming the, Christian, the Christmas story to us. Almost as if all of creation is saying, hey, just when things were darkest, God stepped out of heaven as the great morning light to remind us that we actually can have hope and that we can have joy and that we can have love and that the Prince of Peace is here so we can have peace. Let's read one more prophecy. Luke 1, this is John the Baptist's dad. This is what he hears talking about Jesus. By the way, notice how breakthrough is contagious. 400 years of silence and then one person hears and then suddenly everybody starts hearing. Don't be surprised when God starts working in your life and then he starts working in the lives of your friends and your family and church. I just have a sense that January is going to be one of those months for us, but we'll get there one month at a time. Because of God's tender mercy, here's our phrase, the morning light. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness. If you're struggling this Christmas, memorize Luke 1, 78 and 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadows of death and to guide us to the path of peace. This is the Christmas story. That just as things were darkest, the light came. The one who grew up to say, hey, I am the light of the world. As John writes in John 1, the light is here and the darkness cannot overcome it. The light, I got that wrong. The light shines in the darkness. There it is, I found it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So we're gonna sing one final song, familiar song called Noel. Noel is the French word for Christmas, comes from the Latin word that means to be born. Noel is a declaration that the night is over and the morning light is here. Noel is how we trash talk the enemy. And we say, hey, you may have thrown your best shot at us, but guess what? Jesus is here, which means he will always, has always and will always win today, tomorrow, and for all of eternity. That is the Christmas story. Should you guys stand to your feet? We're gonna proclaim this song out loud as we get ready to do that. I, uh, I wrote this last night, Christmas blessing. I thought really what I want everyone to hear today is, is this blessing. And so if you will, as we get ready to sing, Noel, would you just put your hands out in front of you in a posture of receiving and just let this blessing speak over you. May the Christmas story, the truth that Jesus is King, meet you right where you are today. May it be morning light in the Eastern sky for the one who has been through a dark year of the soul. 
For the one spiraling in depression, may it be a deep, genuine, resounding note of joy. May it be a calming blanket of peace and quiet for the anxious and racing mind. May it be an infusion of hope for the doubting soul. And more than anything, may it be a reminder that at just the right time, the Savior of the world stepped out of heaven for you. May that truth fill your mind with peace, your soul with wonder, and your heart with wild expectation. In Jesus' name, let's worship. To certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay in fields where they lay keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night. so So 